Welcome to another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast with your hosts David and Nick. This week we check in on Batman and Robin, dabble in some black magic, cover the Suicide Squad, get our first look at Jessica Jones, and more! Oh, no. <laughs> oh, this can all be fixed in post. Haha. <laughs> No one ever has to know. No, they don't. No, the secret we will carry to our grave. But David smells. Hey, you can't prove that. Uh, yes I can. I have actually met you in person. You can't prove that. You can't prove it was me. I'm pretty sure we have photos together. Uh, do you know that guy for sure is me and not just an actor I hired? Hmm... I guess that's debatable. Or an actor that Anna hired. Mm, very true. Anna says I don't have enough friends. It's true. She would hire friends. Uh, now, Nick, one thing that we talked about last week on the Lost episode... Uh, oh, that, yeah, I forgot. That we, that we recorded that actually pretty good episode. I know. now Lost Forever. I'll uh, just, just not have the heart in this episode. Well, here, I will, which is funny because I was going to say... We celebrated the fact that you got engaged, uh, but now like it's been a couple of weeks. Just the inner, you know, the excitement's not there. It's not even cool anymore. I didn't. No. I didn't even care about telling people now. No. Yeah. Are you guys still together? Is that a thing? I don't know. I mean, like we've been kind of on the outs since the engagement, so as as tends to happen. Yeah, I just, I just not looking good. No, no, but it's still it still is still is very exciting, guys. Nick. Yeah. Uh, that's right. Nick is finally going to marry that body pillow that he's yep. been yeah. attached to. I mean, so my long. parents always said, Nick, you can marry anyone or anything you want. Just that put, was, you got to put a ring on it. That was their fault for saying anything. Yeah, man. I was just like, I was like, mom, it could have been a pillow or a, a, a I don't know, a dog. Where are you going? Where are you going? Oh, you tried. You tried. I did, but yes, on a serious note, I did propose to my girlfriend. She did say yes, re regrettably. I was hoping she'd say no, and then I'd oh, be it'd like, be oh, such wow. a better story. Uh, this is on you, then. Oh, yeah. people would like tune in to listen to be like, "Have you heard that sad guy yeah. on the comics podcast?" Yeah, no, it was all about the podcast. But no, yeah. she said yes, so I'm Yay. happy, and now we have no content to talk about. That's right. This show is pointless now that because uh, the rules are once you get engaged or married, you have to put all of your nerdy lifestyle behind you. Yeah, and uh, and no more comics. So no more forever. What is that? How does that explain to you, David? Oh, uh, I am the exception that proves the rule. I'm the anomaly, the oh, outlier. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, you get whatever you want. That's right. This could be. This could turn very sexist if I continue to speak. So I will just say that my wife and I are in a wonderful equal partnership in which we both contribute equally. Yes. Yes. That should cover my bases. Well, I mean, you're into comics. She does science for a living. I know. What a dork. I feel like I, don't, I feel like Debbie doesn't really do anything else that's really nerdy, except maybe partnering with you. Uh, Harry you Potter. Some plan. I mean, Harry. But, I, but I, she's like super into science. I guess Harry Potter's stuff. mainstream. 
Yeah. I mean, Harry Potter is yes. depends on how deep into Harry Potter you get. But yes, it is technically a, a something nerdy. But I don't know, like how into Harry Potter does she get? I mean, pretty into Harry Potter. Huh. Like it's yeah. Uh, have I, Have I ever told you that her mother, who is like super conservative religious, like whenever she used to come over to Debbie's old place, Debbie would hide her Harry Potter books. Really? So her mom wouldn't know. Yeah. Oh man, that's like pretty rebellious there i know when when uh one of the i mean this was this is years ago now i don't know if her tune has changed uh i remember i was visiting my brother who who's kind of conservative and, and his wife and uh at the time i think it was just my niece had been born and i don't remember how the conversation came up but basically there his uh my sister-in-law said something about how like she wasn't going to let her kids read Harry Potter or something. But you know, obviously like the, my niece is now like 10 and I feel like with some of the stuff they're interested in, I could see Harry Potter sneaking its way in. I mean, my but, like, but I mean like everyone should read Harry Potter. Yeah. My nine year old niece who is growing up in a, in a fairly strict religious household reads Harry Potter and her parents encourage it. See, see yes, Harry they... Potter, it, it brings, conservatives and liberals together it's the ultimate bipartisan book series uh do you have you heard about the fact that she wrote like a play yeah harry potter and the cursed child it's actually a sequel yeah i don't know how i feel about that like well, we're it's just like it's gonna right. be very niche because Guess unless I... you want to pay like a, a ton of money to fly to london to see it and I don't, people I mean, will what people, oh, people, people will. will i would like i'd i'd like to think that at some point in the future they will put on a stage performance here in the United States. Well, they will. Sure. If not, uh, we'll we'll get a hold of the script and we'll perform it on a street corner uh, with puppets that we yeah. have oh, made. Yeah, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child abridged. Have you uh, have you ever seen the complete works of William Shakespeare abridged? Um, I want. I don't know if I've ever seen it on stage. I wanted to say I watched it in a class though. Like it's, on a... it's pretty funny. It's it's pretty great. Well, what I, I saw was really. I fun. hope that everybody is ready for just an hour and a half of Harry Potter talk because that is <laughs> the train that we're on. <laughs> the Harry Potter. They they're, they're they're re-releasing them now with like more illustrations. Is it the um, comic related? I think the guy doing the illustrations for him is Kazu. He did the the books called Flight. Flight comic books. Hold on. I don't know. Da, 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 da. Kazu Kibushi. He, I know that. I, I don't know if he's doing it. We might be talking about the same thing, but I know one of the newer editions of Harry Potter books uh, has cover art done by Kazu Kibushi. Oh, not just like cover art. Like there's like a bunch of pictures all throughout illustrating the scenes. Oh. So it's like your imagination oh. is wrong, children. Here's how it's, it's actually happening. But it's not like the actual books, though. They just like take no, important scenes. Put it's the all it's, the same narrative yeah when they just randomly are inserting pictures in now because oh. you have not spent enough money on this yet right well i'm, I'm sure anna will end up getting them yeah i think she she apparently reads harry potter like once every year and a half year year and a half or so and she's about to start reading harry potter again whereas i've only ever read each book once yeah me too me too. And I, I have to do a lot of things once and then not revisit them. I feel like I enjoyed it oh, at a certain wait. time and place. Oh, there's jokes about your sex life in there, but uh, uh, it's, it's, I'm above that. You'd have to have a sex life. <laughs> um, <laughs> what was I going to say about Harry Potter and the dead bedroom? Um, <laughs> Harry Potter and Ginny. 
Since the kids were born, they right. just, the, the spark has Okay, before me. we actually talk about comics, we've been talking about Harry Potter for like five <laughs> minutes now. No, um, no, no. This is what the people want. I do want to mention that, uh, did you know that in the movies that the actress that they, they cast for Ginny Weasley, they just like cast her randomly because they didn't, you know, really know that she was going to have a very significant role in the later books. And, like, people who work on the movie have kind of come out and been like, yeah, if we'd known, we would have uh, cast her differently. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there was anything pleased. really wrong with it. They didn't really make Ginny do anything in the movies. It was, she was kind of, like, always there. Exactly. Had, like, a brief romantic thing, and then, like, oh, at the end, like, they're married. Which, even in the books, I didn't like that apparently, like, they all had to meet their soulmates during the book series, and then, boom, jump 19 years, and, like, none of them how had great, any rough patches how or great would it have been? in between. Yeah, how, how great would it have been if they, like, did that epilogue, and, like, Ron and Hermione are divorced, and, like, they both show up to, like, see the kids off to school, and they're just arguing the whole time, and, like, Harry is sneaking drinks, because, like, you know, his life has been falling <laughs> apart lately. Just, like, and he's just, a lifetime of PTSD. Yeah, finally hitting him. And, and realize how and, much he loved the spotlight until it was gone. And they don't name their kid Albus Severus. Severus. Oh, it just makes me angry thinking. And I the just play threw is going to be about Albus Severus. I threw too. a pen across the room out of anger. Uh, uh, just, honestly, it's like, I hate saying that that, that would be more real, realistic, but that would probably be more realistic than the sort of simplistic happy ending we got. Which, I mean, I liked it for what it was, uh, but it was more of... If it, they had just ended the book, like, not just to the 19 years later, but, like, up to, like, the ending pre-19 years was sort of, like, a an open-ended thing. But it was really like, nope, Her uh, Ron and Hermione are together. Harry's apparently going to be with Ginny. And, uh, and everything's oh, and perfect Neville And Luna Lovegood, like, totally get together. Yeah, and don't even get me started on the movie. But you know what? I'm going to force us here to move on. To the Batmobile. Let's go. All right, we are going to talk about comics now. I don't know how to transition. This is hard. Yeah, no, no, it is. Well, hey, I have a transition here. Harry Potter, the world of magic. I read a book this week called Black Magic. Oh, there we go. Perfect, dude. Now I feel like it's a lot easier for me. Yeah, I'm here to help. This was written by Greg Rucka and illustrated by Nicola Scott. Nicola Scott. Nicola Scott. I. It's a, it's a woman. You're okay. You know what? I'm over it. Um, so this story, it's a very, Nicola very Scott. interesting... What? What was <laughs> that? Nicola Scott. <laughs> right, are you ready? Black, Black Magic number one. Black Magic number one. Yeah, thank you. Uh, this is a very interesting book. The When it opens up, there is a group of people in a forest performing some sort of ritual. It's all very Black Magic-y. And... Uh, the way that the, that it, the coloring is, it's all, you know, sort of got this antique feeling, like old photographs. And you think, like, oh, this must be in the 1800s. Uh, let me just make sure they don't say right at the beginning, present day. Um, yeah, they just say that it's during the fall equinox. And they're performing this ritual when all of a sudden somebody's cell phone starts ringing. Hmm. And it turns out this takes place modern day-ish pretty modern day it would seem and one of the members of this uh coven i guess i don't know what it's called when there's men involved i don't know if that can also be a coven um but anyway one of the members of this group gets a phone call and she has to run off because she is a police officer 
and there is a man who is holding up a restaurant who is demanding to speak to her and eventually she gets inside he reveals that he knows her name not just her name her like true name which people who know a lot about um I'm not really sure if it's like a Wiccan belief, but it comes up a lot in fiction where you have a true name and that true name has power. Uh, it, you know, it is if people know that they have power over you and so you never tell anybody your true name. Well, this guy knows her true name mm -hmm. and he's getting ready to kill her because it's something that he has to do. And right as he goes to do it, uh, she uses her magic to turn everything against him. He's the one who goes down, and uh, as the book's wrapping up, he's getting pulled into a, um, an ambulance, and she's kind of, you know, getting a, a shock blanket put around her. She calls somebody who is part of her group and basically alerts them, like, somebody knows who we are. It's happening again, I think is the phrase that she uses. Uh, this is, all in all, a very, very interesting book in the way that I, the way that I described it to you earlier today was that it's a book where everything is working together mm -hmm. right from the get-go. Um, so, I mean, obviously Greg Rucka is a good writer. He is crafting a good story here. Uh, and the, the art really great. I've not seen other, <laughs> other stuff, uh, from this artist before, but I'd be interested to, um, in the way that they use the coloring, was very very interesting because it's in this antique sort of black and white sepia for almost the entire book until um there's the stuff with with the fire and the magic and when the magic gets used that there's suddenly this burst of color into the book hmm. even contrasted to other characters on the same page who are still in that black and white uh sort of look to them like uh, there's a big spread where there's somebody who is on fire in, in color, engulfed in flames of color, and she is still in black and white. Um, it's just really, really, really cool looking, really well done. This is a book that I'm definitely going to be looking forward to um, where they're going to go, and not just because of, of the hook of the story. Normally, I don't like to talk about number ones because number ones are very difficult to talk about, but this one was really cool because I'm not just hooked by, you know, what's going to happen next. I'm not just hooked by the art. I'm hooked by everything that's happening here, and mm -hmm. I really love the aesthetic of it. And uh, I don't know how long this book is supposed to run, I don't know if it's just going to be like a limited six issue or if it's going to be running for a couple of years. Um, I can kind of see it going either way, but I like that they're, they're starting simply, which also really helps. This is a number one. It's very direct. You know everything you need to know, whereas something like The Wicked and the Divine, you know like there's just so much mythos here going on already. Uh, this one was just a very easy, like, very easy pickup read. You know, you could disappointedly drop this book right after issue number one and it tells a good enough story but i'm very very curious and very very hooked on the idea that this book is presenting mm -hmm. uh, on the other hand another book i want to talk about real quick is the dark side war batman now i am not keeping up on justice league and uh i i have a vague idea of what's going on over in justice league right now and that is that um, 
they killed Darkseid or Darkseid died. That's I believe Anti-Monitor killed Darkseid. Right. And in that void, the Justice League all became uh, different gods. And Batman became the god of knowledge. Well, hold on. Let me... I, I, read, I haven't read the last two issues, but I kind of know what's going on. Okay. Okay, so um, Batman, at like the very beginning of the story, they ended up fighting Metron, who was the previous owner of the chair, the Mo- what they call the Mobius chair. Yes. Uh, during the fight, Batman sits on the chair and gains its power. So he's actually been sort of Metron Batman for a, while, a little, for a few issues now. Uh, other than that, I know that there's going to be a one shot with Green Lantern. I don't know what happens because I know on the last issue before they move into these one shots, he just kind of went flying off into space. But I guess he gets kind of new godied. New uh-huh. godied. Uh, Wonder Woman doesn't change. Um, Shazam ends up channeling new gods instead of old gods. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cyborg doesn't change. Flash. I don't know if you mentioned Flash. Flash. Uh, Flash becomes the Death Racer or the Black Racer, whatever they call it. Uh, Lex Luthor becomes the new Dark Side. Ooh. Uh, interesting. So, so they're so Superman and Lex Luthor are on Apocalypse. Um, Superman's powers are drained, so they decide to try and charge him in the pits, the fire pits of Apocalypse, mm. which turns him into like this negative Superman, like he looks like he's. Like like Mr. Negative from Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, and he's also kind of a dick now. Um, he beats the crap out... Well, I guess he quote-unquote beats the crap out of Lex Luthor. He probably just smacks him. Otherwise, he probably would have killed him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Lex Luthor's kind of battered. And he ends up coming across these people. And there's this woman, and I can't think of her name, but a fun uh, comic fact is that she's actually a former wife of Lex Luthor in a previous continuity, hmm. like a Silver Age continuity. Um... um and she ends up saying, like, there was this prophecy of basically, and then basically describes Superman's story and asks, are in the wake of Darkseid's death, like, are you that person? And Lex is like, hmm, yes, I am. And then he becomes the new Darkseid. Hmm. So it looks like Superman was destined to become the new Darkseid, but he's kind of off being negative Superman, and Lex is now Darkseid. And I think that's kind of where it all gets left off, but somewhere... In there, Batman's been kind of floating around in the chair being like, take it away, David. So, yes, he's floating around in the Mobius chair being the god of knowledge. Oh, another fun fact. Sorry. (laughs) It turns out that the Anti-Monitor's real name is Mobius and that he was actually the originator of the Mobius chair. It's not not Steven. It wasn't Steven. I always thought it was Steven. Anyway. He always struck me as more of a Joe. You know, I could see that. Uh, anyway. Hey, it's Joe, the anti-monitor. <laughs> oh, hey, Joe. Oh, don't destroy my reality. Ooh, oh, you know, maybe Joe. you should stop that right okay, now. Uh, so Batman floating around the Mobius chair in Gotham. And this book opens up with some cool ideas. I'm not going to talk about it for too long. I just want to kind of highlight it real quick. Um, but, yeah, it's floating around Gotham and... What he's doing is with the knowledge that the chair is presenting him, he's going all minority report on Gotham where he knows what's going to happen. So he knows when crimes are going to be committed. So he's running off and stopping them before they happen. But of Mm -hmm. course, the legal system does not prosecute people in that way. Batman's not like dropping a bunch of evidence down. He's just saying, here's a, you know, this person's going to commit this crime and then flying off in his chair. Um, he has a brief interaction with Gordon in the beginning because in in the continuity in which the Justice League book takes place, 
Batman is still Bruce Wayne and uh, Commissioner Gordon is still around. Now, apparently all that's supposed to be taking place in the same continuity. So this is either pre-Jim Bat or post-Jim Bat. Right. Either way, who cares? It's fun. Yeah. Um, And they have their brief conversation. He gets word of more crime. So he finds a bunch of guys that are about to go rob a club. And they're going to kill some people because he knows this because he's the god of knowledge. So he decides to drop them in like this place in Antarctica where they won't die, but they have plenty of time to think about their actions. And then he finds a guy who like sneaks into his ex-wife's apartment and is going to cut her up with a knife. And so he takes him, takes the guy to the Amazonian island and leaves him to hang out with the Amazonians for a while. Hmm. Um, and then... Like, so there's some interesting concepts here. I'm kind of down with this idea. Uh, then the book takes a kind of unfortunate turn. And this is disappointing, because I like Tomasi, generally. Um, he gets this idea that he's going to go visit Joe Chill in jail. And Joe Chill is the man who killed his parents. So he decides to terrorize Joe Chill for some odd reason. Uh, and it just gets very weird. Joe Chill becomes very egotistical. The dialogue becomes really, really bad, which is very unfortunate. Um, basically, instead of Joe Chill being like a guy who was doing anything to get by, he's painted as this monster who knew exactly what he was doing and like purposefully murdered some people and doesn't really get why he's being like prosecuted for it. Um... And, yeah, and so Batman reveals himself to be Bruce Wayne, and, you know, if, like, you know, he's going to go around telling everybody in prison that Joe Chill created Batman, and let's see how much he'd like it then, and that gets Joe Chill to, like, break down and be all scared. So Batman wipes his memory and then leaves and goes back to the Batcave, where Alfred is, like, super calm about this entire thing. And it's like, oh man, you're you're bleeding and you're not eating and you haven't left this chair, so I'm just gonna like keep supporting you in every possible way that I can. And the whole thing ends with now Batman's like, I'm the god of knowledge, but I still have no idea who the Joker is. And he looks at all these pictures of the Joker, and they're all covers from different uh, stories of the Joker. Hmm. I, I don't know if those are supposed to be photographs. Or if they're getting, like, super, super meta here. Um, But, yeah. Uh, It really was kind of disappointing there by the end. I didn't like the interactions with Joe Chill at all. Didn't like the dialogue. Was really, really badly written. And the the things with Alfred is that Alfred, if Batman is doing stuff that's not what Batman would do. Alfred doesn't just stand there and is like, yeah, whatever you think, Mr. Bruce, that's totally cool. Like, he's willing to stand his ground and and like smack a bat bitch if he has to. Uh, it, it just didn't feel natural, and I didn't like that, you know, you have so many, so many stories you can tell with a a Batman who knows crime before it's going to happen. And they decide to dwell on the past and just go back to his parents. And I think that Batman as a character, that's obviously very core to him. Mm-hmm. But story-wise, we've kind of moved past it. And it was, I don't know, there's so much cool stuff that could have happened with this book. 
so many cool things that can happen with this concept. Even just him struggling with trying to figure out who the Joker is, even though he's the god of knowledge. Like, that's a good, interesting idea. They could have gotten a whole bunch more out of that story-wise. And, it, yeah, it it was not the kind of outing I like to see with Batman, or from Tomasi, even. So, uh, you know, if you're if you're out there interested in the Dark Side War stuff, totally cool, but this issue was skippable. That's my thoughts on Dark Side War. Well, Justice League, the Dark Side War, Batman. Nick, why don't you tell us your thoughts on things? All right. Um, so uh, I caught up on a book that came out a week or two ago called Deadpool and Cable Split Second Number One. It's actually a Marvel Infinite comic. Ooh. Uh, so it's all digital, baby. Um so for those that don't know, Marvel's infinite comic style is kind of like a flash comic where uh, read through a comicsology guided view support. Uh, let me just actually move on my tablet back to the comic. There we go. So, for example, you have, say, panel one, and it's going to say something like Janus Research, Leesburg, Virginia, and Hydra agents are yelling, Hail Hydra. And then there's someone out of the corner of the panel saying, Hail my badonkadonk. Now, normally, yeah, Deadpool. Um, normally, you would then just look over at the second panel and be like, "Oh, look, it's Deadpool saying, hail my Binakadon.'" But instead, you swipe, and it shifts over. Like, uh, uh, in some cases, it's gonna. Oh, sorry, it wasn't actually Deadpool that said that. It was uh, Agent Shield Agent Preston, uh, who's part of the Gary Dugan uh, Deadpool run. Anyway. Um, in some cases, it might shift the the visual to another complete visual. In other cases. You know, it's going to be like she's talking, and then you swipe again, and then um, instead of the image changing, uh, captions get added in. Then you swipe again, and it moves to another image, and so on and so forth. So mm -hmm. it's it's still functionally a comic book, but with but what does that mean in this crazy future age? <laughs> it's 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 really hard to describe it in a way because it's not like a cartoon. It's far from a cartoon. It's very much still a comic book. But it's done in a way where obviously like a traditional comic book, you're holding it in your hands and even digitally and you're swiping page to page. Or even if you're using guided view, it's just going from panel to panel to panel to panel. In this case, you might be moving from one image to another, but in many cases, the same image will keep looping over and over again. But you'll be getting different lines of dialogue, different caption boxes. And it's very seamless. And I hadn't read an Infinite comic in a while, so it was actually kind of fun. So Split Second is written by Fabian Nezia and drawn by Riley Brown, both who uh, who had collaborated previously on the Cable and Deadpool series mm -hmm. back around, that ended back in like 2008, uh, which I had the first volume of that, and I really enjoyed it. Um, so Fabian, uh, who's actually a really great writer that uh, I think a lot of people associate with the 90s because that's probably where his peak was, but he's the kind of writer that's actually in many ways adapted to current standards you know what i mean mm -hmm. so it's, it's i hope that he continues to get more work uh from marvel and dc uh, and wherever else he might actually want to take work from but um i don't typically read deadpool comics uh, i do like cable i've read i've liked a lot, a lot the last couple of series that he's been a part of um this first issue is definitely was more deadpool than uh cable but basically it amounts yeah. to a, a simple situation where Deadpool rescues a uh, hydro scientist. They don't realize it's a hydro scientist who's discovered some method of time travel. 
uh, and Cable, whose current power is basically having kind of like wonky visions of the future, uh, mm-hmm. sees Deadpool shooting this um, scientist in like a couple of days from now um, and sets up to find Deadpool to stop him. They end up colliding in, I guess, Deadpool lives in like a, uh, how do I describe it? Subway sewer type setup where like, cause he's married to this uh, succubus named uh, Shikla. Who's mm-hmm. like the ruler of Monstertropolis or Monster Town or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> there was this great bit where Deadpool he comes home and he's all like, "Oh, honey, I'm home," and he catches Shikla about to sacrifice a goat, and there's like this whole like you know satanic ritual thing around, and and he starts like freaking out, like, "What are you doing?" And you think, "Oh, he cares about the fact that she's about to murder a goat," and he walks over and he like knocks the goat out of the way, and he's like. When I've come, when I'm done with like a long day of heroing or shielding or whatever, like I like to come home to you and like, um, uh, but basically lingerie, um, and he makes this comment, which is interesting because he mentions that Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man's wife, you know, Spider-Man's always coming home to a woman in like negligees, and she starts flipping the crap out on him, uh, and she eventually she's just like she shows herself in lingerie, and then she's like. But what about this? And then she's just wearing like a suit, which I didn't really get. And then apparently she has like a true demon form, which is pretty hideous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Deadpool's all like, oh, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have, uh, whatever, done that. Uh, and then Cable shows up and it, it kind of goes from there. But just as far as like uh, the story goes, it's it's simple. Uh, it's only th- going to be three issues long. Um, but the the dialogue is key. Like Fabian's a guy who's heavily associated with both characters. Like I think if you go back, he was actually the writer that took Deadpool from Rob LeFeld into like his first um, like miniseries or something mm-hmm. and, and like had fleshed out a lot of that early Deadpool and then you know came back to the character time and again to play with him. So he's able to channel his own influence on the character as well as Gary Dugan's, as well as Joe Kelly's. Um, and you really get a feel that like this is a very this is a guy that like you just you know it's Deadpool's voice. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and and same thing with Cable. You know, which Cable isn't. I think I'd like to think too hard to write, but I mean, for what little you see Cable in this first chapter, um, it sounds like Cable. And the art is great. Like I've seen stuff from Riley Brown, but he, like, I mean, he's certainly come a long way from the last Cable and Deadpool series. I'm trying to think of other work he's done in the meantime, and I'm blanking on it. But uh, his style works really well with the Infinite Comics. Like it. It's a it's a really good flow of a chapter. And I was really upset when the the issue was over because I wanted more, but I'm gonna have to wait a couple weeks, uh, or or actually maybe next week. Um, but still, so yeah, Deadpool and Cable split second number one. It's uh, fun. It's snappy. Great dialogue. They even mentioned my favorite show, Scandal, and uh, it's great. So uh, kind of like a recommendation, kind of not, but uh, if you happen to be able to spare a couple bucks, check it out on Comicsology. Very cool. Now, uh, when this show started some time ago, we had it in our head, ah, oh, there's so many event comics going on, we should regularly schedule a time to review those. Uh, Nick, how did that go for us? Uh, like most of our ideas, not very well. Hmm. So we kind of give up on that, right? I mean, that's, you know, it's the easy thing to do. It's the American it, way. It went the way of our Hellblazer challenge, I would say. Shh, shh, shh. Nick, 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 you're going to don't remind the people of, uh, uh, see, that's what you get for bringing up the Hellblazer challenge. Uh, the smoking you get smoke, smoker's cough. 
had a cigarette. Why? Uh, I think second uh, second hand smokers cough. It's a real thing, people. Well, anyway, we uh, we we don't we don't do that now at this point, but we still you know will occasionally talk about the event books going on. Like right now, we're going to talk about Batman and Robin Eternal. The first four issues were one month in, one sixth of the way through the story. That's uh, that's you know how the dialogue is written. Womp, 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 womp. Yep, yeah, yeah. Just like the uh, the parents on peanuts. <laughs> uh, yeah, the peanuts. Cool. Um, obviously, we're not going to try to condense four issues of story too much by going into too much detail. The gist of it is there is this woman called or this figure called Mother, who has brainwashed people, manufactured people to some degree. Yeah, designer human beings. Designer which I, human I beings. I don't quite understand what, where they're going with that. Yeah, well, yeah, but, you know, we've got time to figure it out. And everybody in the Bat family, except for Batman, or Bruce Wayne, are they're even loosely associated with the Bat family. They're all getting together... Uh, to try to figure out what is going on or being directed that way. So, mm -hmm. so far we've had the appearance of, uh, if, even if you want to hear our thoughts on the first issue, you can go back um, a couple episodes and uh, we, we talk about the different Robins. So we've had the, the different Robins show up. You have uh, Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, Tim Drake. You've also had um, Harper Rowe, who's... Uh, Bluebird, right? Is what they're calling her. Bluebird. Bluebird. Yep. Bluebird. Uh, we have the return of Cassandra Kane. Uh, we have Stephanie Brown showing up as the spoiler. You've had Batgirl show up. You've had the We Are Robin team. Um, I don't know if anyone else who is associated has shown up yet in any way. I think so far on that issue, that's that's what you got. You mentioned Cassandra Kane, right? Of course, I mentioned okay. Cassandra Kane. Right, right. She's kind of central to the first four issues. Yes, yes, and she's quite mysterious as to what her like. She seems to be Bruce Wayne's failsafe for this whole thing. Yeah, so uh, so there is just because obviously we're on to issue four. I read issue four <clears throat> today, uh, and obviously I've read the other three over the last weeks um but i think they said that like she's on a mission from batman mm -hmm. right so she's not actually working with mother but she seems to be entrenched in whatever organization or association mother has like orphan seems to be someone who's working for mother mm -hmm. so i'm getting the vibe that maybe she's working for mother but as a double agent and that bruce planted her a long time ago yeah see that's that's the really confusing part of what's going on because there's going to be a lot of double triple quadruple crossings going on here because mm -hmm. even at the end of this issue you have tim drake because the idea is presented that anybody can be an operative of mother and not even know about it yeah but does that mean that like she got to him at some point in their lives because when uh, bruce wayne was being attacked at that gala he was being attacked by everyone at the gala right in that list that they thought was this is a list of people that are under attack that are going to be hit it's like no these are, might be lists of mother's operatives yeah who don't even know it but they're and they said that they were all designer human beings which i mean i get like the, the term means well, but exactly think... how that plays like what and what at what point in their lives did the mother interject and make them susceptible to her influence Yes, 
And yeah, there's there's a lot to that question is were they grown or did she some at some point into their life and start guiding them in a very certain way? We find mm-hmm. out in this issue that, that a, a former Robin is associated with mother, whether he knows about it or not, we're still not quite sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also this implication that uh, brought up by Jason Todd that maybe the Robins weren't so randomly chosen mm-hmm. that maybe they were in a, in a way designed or manufactured. I think it's an offhand comment by Jason Todd, how much weight that's going to have. I don't know. I can, you get... know, it's that's the, both from what Jason Todd said and from interviews about the book is basically saying there's this conspiracy about the Robins that yeah. there's this list that clearly existed back when Dick Grayson was first Robin um, you know, and I feel like this book is going to maybe do some retroactive uh, retconning of things already established in the New 52. Uh, one one of the cliffhangers is Dick Grayson going to the Drake home. Yeah. Uh, and I know that there was some stuff in um, uh, some Teen Titan issues from a couple of years ago where uh, they revealed that Tim Drake isn't his real name. It was like Timothy something else, but uh, his parents had to go into witness protection but he didn't and took on a new name or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if he's going to a home called Drake, his parents wouldn't be staying under the same name. So I'm wondering if maybe they reckon, which seemed like a really dumb idea at the time anyway. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's very curious. Um, but it's like one of those things where I don't think, I think when this book ends and a few, you know, 22 issues that it's kind of gone like, go back in a circle like we're still going to be where we started where it doesn't really like there might be some changes or there's there's clearly like a conspiracy but you're going to find out that it there maybe was a plan but the plan wasn't active because obviously having this thing where the robins are this conspiracy plan like created intentionally kind of goes against like how the robins came to be in their comic book history Mm -hmm. um and i just feel like we're gonna get to the end and it's gonna be kind of like a wink and a nudge but um, that no, but it's exactly what you thought it was in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. I think as far as that storyline goes, you're right. Not a lot is going to be changed. I don't necessarily think that this book is going to be just completely consequence free, uh, to what extent the, there will be consequences. I think it is still yet to be seen. Um, I mean, clearly stuff, is, you know, especially stuff in the past, like the fact that that mm-hmm. is Batman shooting parents right of a kid in egypt or wherever it was turkey or something yeah um you know so like you can't deny like that's happened but why and you know how you know how much that relates to the the him discovering dick discovering jason you know so on and so forth Mm -hmm. and uh i think that i haven't been keeping up with uh we are robin neither have i so i don't know what's going on in that book i it appears they don't know yet who the mysterious benefactor is that is getting them information or telling them like what's going on. I wonder if that's going to be revealed because that seems important. It's somebody who knows a lot about the goings on of the bat family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the hints that it could possibly be Bruce Wayne, but it's very obviously. I mean, not unless Bruce they Wayne. lost their benefactor because Bruce Wayne obviously doesn't. Well, the we are Robins became we are Robin post Endgame, so mm-hmm. it can't be Bruce funneling the money. Yeah. 
Um, and the other thing is, I, I think whoever the benefactor is, it could play out in Batman and Robin Eternal. It could also play out in the upcoming Robin War storyline. Yeah, yeah. Which that'll which be is weird that we're getting Batman and Robin Eternal, which is showing all the Robins, and we're going to end up with another story in next month or December or something featuring all the Robins again going at it and with the Court of Owls. So a lot of Robin stuff over the next three months. Yeah, and, and they're doing that thing that comic books have done since the beginning of comic book time, which is very annoying where it's like, all right, cool, we're going to release like this issue that's going to have the first part of the story. And then if you want the rest of the story, you have to go read these individual issues of other stuff. Mm-hmm. Which normally I just wouldn't care about, but one of the like last issues is the only book of a Robin that I'm on, and I don't want this issue like, to get to this issue and be like kind of piecing it together. So now I feel like I have to go through and at least read what's going on in all these other books. Well, I think there, and yes, it, it is annoying. I mean, I think it can go both ways. If you happen to already picking up all the titles, then it doesn't affect you. Yeah, but their hope is that. You know, if you're reading Robin, Son of Batman, Which, uh, and that's you pick the one. up We Are Robin, and you like it, then you're going to want to go back at the other issues and continue picking it up and hopefully boosting the sales yeah. of that book. And this is, I mean, this is just a general complaint that comic fans have had forever, because it's always been this way. It's like, oh, Thor and Iron Man are teaming up for the first time, and you get the first part of the story in Thor, want to find out how it wraps up? Well, you have to read Iron Man. Uh, and that's a time-honored tradition that we all secretly hate and yet support. Uh, good figure. Other thoughts about this book. One thing that I, um, I did kind of like is that there, and, and I talked about this in the first issue, that there is a difference in the skills of, of the Robins, uh, and that's being highlighted very much in this book. And I think that's being highlighted across the board with everybody in a very like realistic way without having it feel um, like, and you're here because you have this skill and you're here because you have this skill, uh, which is also a very old way of, of doing comics. But there was this moment with Stephanie Brown where they're like, yeah, you're in this room because really like you're the newest at this. You don't have, like you haven't really been trained by anybody very well. You yeah. don't really have a whole lot of skills. Uh, and I just like the, the, that knowledge instead of being like, all right, we're all going to go out there and she's going to be just as good of a fighter as everybody else. Or like the Robin kids all like grabbing a bunch of random instruments from around the kitchen and, and fighting with those. Like not everybody is perfect. Everybody seems to have a clearly defined like abilities or skill sets at this mm-hmm. time and uh cassandra kane can beat up everyone in this book and i'm totally cool with that we can keep that storyline going i agree i i mean so far i think uh this book benefits from the fact that it's only 26 issues so you're getting mm-hmm. a lot of stuff each issue mm-hmm. uh and i think that's only going to continue as we get to the final issue in a few months um and and that's what i like i think I think there's some, it's something cool about you know getting a weekly series for 52 issues, um, but I think we've seen even from the Much Herald and, and I, I I love it uh, the 50 the 52 the original weekly series, you know 52 was it was a an amazing example of comic bookery. But, and, and I think 52 works in part because it leans into the fact that it's taking that each issue is a week 
So, you know, you might not see characters for a couple of weeks and when you catch up with them, they're in a completely different place, but you get it. And you're able to stretch out certain stories so that it, 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 it I'd have to go back and read. I actually should like buy all the fifties. I mean, I have like the single issues, but having a collected edition is always so much better. Um, mm-hmm. But there's other ones like there was the, the Trinity, um, which I, I remember reading a few issues of and I like, but basically the, the long story short is that there's always padding involved in these 52 long issue long series. And I think Batman and Robin Eternal is immediately uh, whatever uh, other shortcomings it might have. The pacing is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. this is this is definitely not a perfect book. I thought it was super cheesy that they were like, "All right, we're just gonna track who made the axes." No, the axes were custom made. R- really? I mean, I guess that's it's very comic booky that mm-hmm. there would be some guy out there just mass producing. I mean, people do mass produce hatchets, but uh, like that they're custom, like untraceable hatchets. It's just a very bizarre concept. I guess it could happen. Yeah. I guess. It could happen. Yeah. So we'll be back in a few weeks to continue talking about Batman and Robin Eternal. It's, it's you know, not been perfect, but it's been pretty good so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, hmm. Any other, any other thoughts? Any other books you want to mention, Nick, while we're here? While, while you've got the podium? No, I'm, I'm pretty good. I, it was a pretty light week for me as far as my reading material, and I've just been spending a lot of time catching up on older series. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll definitely save one of them for my recommendation at the end. So, Ooh, a tease. A tease, folks. Stay tuned. <laughs> well, uh, let's see. Well, how are we? uh, I guess that, uh, that, that brings us about uh, to that time where... Uh, oh, oh, somebody's here. It's... Uh... Spider-Man and his amazing friends. That, of course, means that we've got some news here to bring you. Uh, probably the biggest news of the week is that Jessica Jones, the official trailer, has been released. Shaboom. Shabam. Uh, Nick, your your quick thoughts on the Jessica Jones trailer. Uh, it's been a few days since I watched it, but it's like, it looks good. I mean, it's it's kind of keeping in line with the same co- sort of grim, grim and gritty street tone of Daredevil um, with its own Jessica Jonesy flair. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious how like how much they're going to lean into the alias material. I um, mean, from what I hear and from people who saw the first episode, pretty heavy. Yeah, I mean, just like there's ways that you can suggest certain things that it, that they that happen as far as like you know, but I feel like. Is it is it not explicitly stated in Alias? That... In the comics, it's 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 explicitly stated. Okay, and um, for those you know who are wondering, yes, well, in, if, in the comics, were... Jessica Jones was raped by the Purple Man. Yeah, the spoilers. Um, that's that's definitely one thing. I, I there clearly is some sort of traumatic history between the two of them. Is it rape? Who knows? Um, and then of course there's also the. Uh, anal sex scene with Luke Cage that isn't said explicitly, but very heavily implied. Hmm. Yeah. Um, Which is like, when when, when people talk about Alias, it's usually the fact that Purple Man raped her that's um, a big deal and the the, uh, sex scene with Luke Cage. Mm -hmm. And and even broader, it it even goes broader than than that. Um, Those are, of course, the, the highlights for people who might be uncomfortable with those kind of things. This might be a series to avoid. Um, but it's not just that he he raped her; it's that he had control over her 
um, for a, a very, very long time, mm-hmm. um, making her do all manner of things yeah. uh, and just generally destroying her life and making it awful. And that seems to be the storyline that is coming through in this trailer. Um, I'm sure everybody's seen it. Uh, they know that Jessica Jones is a private detective who's a little extra super strong. Uh, and in this story, you have the Purple Man is coming back into her life to do whatever it is that the Purple Man has come back into her life to do. Um, some interesting highlights from the trailer. This seems like Luke Cage is going to be in this more than I originally thought, mm-hmm. which I think is really cool. Uh, it does seem like it's going to get sort of their origin of meeting, which is fine. I was kind of hoping that they'd already would have known each other um, and just and just gone with it. Uh, I, I bet... Oh, well, we don't know the Luke Cage series is going to be it. Do you think that he's going to get arrested in the storyline? I don't know. I it, think it, he already has his powers in did, this. Does he? Didn't, I mean, didn't, it didn't say. I, I think he already comes in pre-powered. They might cover it in his own series. But... Sorry, was that? Uh, I think that um, they'll, I think they're going to cover his origin in his own series. I think he comes pre-powered in this, though. He comes pre-Christmas. Yeah, he pre-packaged with powers. Yes. With uh, Luke Cage, sweet Christmas action. Yes. Here's a, a little bit of the trailer. Job here. is looking for the worst in people. Ooh, ouch! Turns out I excel at that. Because you a PI? I'm just trying to make a living. You know, booze costs money, usually. Yeah, so she's uh, she's hitting on some Luke Cage there. Yeah, and uh, some booze, apparently. Some... I can't tell if she likes booze or Luke Cage more. Ooh, I think it's a toss-up at this point. We're just going to have to wait and see on that. November 20th, am I correct? November 20th, that's right. We are less than a month away from this Boom. hitting. And I, I always... You know, I got this idea in my head after Daredevil, and it was too late to do this, um, but doing, like, a short little like episode by episode um companion series like 20 to 30 minutes mm-hmm. just being like here's what happened here's how it relates to the comics here's a breakdown and our thoughts and blah 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 um and how it can connect other ways but uh david Tennant, man in this trailer we didn't get a lot of him uh they're keeping him kind of in the shadows as far as the promotions go but man is he creepy makes my skin crawl which is effective acting slash storytelling in my book yes it is i'm just quickly scanning through the trailer here to see um oh where is it like even just this first appearance uh which is very small and i'm very obviously vamping right now while i try to find this moment ah here it is Yes? You'd like to invite me in? Absolutely. Like, just having that power over... So he walks up to a guy's door, like, you want to invite me in. Just even, like, the wording of it. It's not just, like, let me in. It's you want to invite me in. Just shows, like, the psychoticness of him. And it's not like those things where it's like he does like some kind of trick and then he has control of you. He no, literally he just, just looks, opens the door. Guy, guy looks kind of confused, and then he's like, "You want to let me in?" And he's just like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I do." 
Uh, like it's just all so casual. Yeah, and the scene when she walks into the cop station and they're all pointing their guns either at themselves or at each other. Oh man, I'm I'm pretty excited for the series. My slight concern is that Marvel is going to be like that last series was pretty dark. Let's go darker. And they definitely seem like they're going to be surpassing because Daredevil was dark in a gritty sort of realistic way in a violent uh, way in a, in a violent know, way whereas this seems like there's going to be violence but i think it's going to be heavy on like the psychological trauma aspect right like of this it. is going to be dark in the like sexual violence kind of way and uh like mind control kind of way which is very very different and definitely more unsettling we don't have any idea what the tone of like a luke cage series would be yet um, or the Iron Fist because they've been kind of tight-lipped on that. I feel like Iron Fist needs to be a little bit more light-hearted kung fu adventures mm-hmm. um, about like finding the strength inside of yourself. Well, I mean, they—if you go back to his original like origin story, um, it's it's not done in a dark way, but it's definitely dark subject matter. The fact that like he watches his father be betrayed and, and knocked off a cliff. He watches his mother get torn apart by wolves, and then he gets trained, and which isn't like heavily shown, but you can imply that to become the Iron Fist, you have to go through some pretty arduous training, well, yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah. experiences, and then all. And his whole shtick is that he's, you know, he gets he gets to choose. He can stay in Kunlun, be immortal, be their protector, or return to the mortal world and seek revenge. And he chooses revenge. Yeah, yeah, and. I'm, I'm not saying it's it's the lighthearted, happy-go-lucky, but a lot of like his first appearance was def, definitely or his first storylines back when it was like Marvel Presents or whatever Marvel Showcase uh, was just him going around and fighting other kung fu guys. Yeah. Um, I'm just saying like it's not it's not as dark of a place as somebody mentally controlled you for like a year and you were just subject to their whim. Yeah, uh, and I don't want them to try to surpass that. This is, of course, based on on nothing, but pure speculation. But I think, however much they lean to the mystical side of Iron Fist, they're probably going to be looking at the Immortal Iron Fist run as a big inspiration. Mm-hmm. And in that book, for all of its uh, dark and gritty subject matter, Danny was always kind of a light-hearted fellow. Yeah, yeah. Where Matt Murdock and Jessica Jones don't seem to be. They're not. I feel like between, I think Luke Cage, it's going to be dark. I think they're all going to be dark. But I think mm. between Luke Cage and Iron Fist, they're going to be... Not, um, not as dark? Yeah, I think there's going to be a, an inherent humor to the way that the characters approach their predicaments. Now, now I, don't, you know, I don't know a lot about Power Man, Luke Cage. So if I'm completely wrong on this, just let me know. But he always seemed like he was striving to be more like the hero of the people. Yeah. Um... And, you know, like, Daredevil's fighting guys in the shadows, where, like, Luke Cage is like, no, I want to be out there on the streets. Like, he never wore a mask. Well, I mean, he kind of wore a mask at one point. But at this these at this point, you know, he's just out there, like, wanting to be on the streets, helping the everyday man. He is, but at the same time, he's technically, like, a capitalist superhero, because his whole shtick is Heroes for Hire, where he's going to sell his his services to be a hero for you. Which, yeah. I mean, basically just makes him a mercenary. Um, so obviously he's going to be what? picky about the jobs he chooses. It's going to yeah. be like, 
But at the same time, you think the people... But it's like it's really conflicting because he has this business where you pay him and he'll hero for you. But at the same time, the people that he would want to cater to are the people that probably can't afford his services. Right. So he probably doesn't make a lot of money. <laughs> a gig's a gig. Uh, just, a gig speaking of mercenaries, um, how great was uh, Cullen Bunn's response about Moon Knight and the fact that the first series he ever pitched to... Marvel was the macabre Moon Knight. I think that's pretty special. That would be so awesome. It's like the, the coolest macabre. name. And it'll never happen. Though I guess he got to do a He still Moon got Knight to run. do Moon Knight. Well, yeah, but I don't think it was the run that he pitched. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. So he, yeah, I mean, he said he wanted to lean more into the supernatural aspects. And that's what I like. With Warren Ellis, you got actually mostly a, a supernatural aspect to it. Um, but I think it was more psychological. The uh, Brian Woods was much more political, kind of, yeah. you know, dealing with real world elements. Um, and then Colin Bunn leaned a lot more supernatural. And you've got Jeff Lemire coming on, I think, doing more psychological. And whether he's on for six issues or whatever, uh, I like that Moon Knight's a character that, you know, he can kind of dip himself into the psychological, the political, the supernatural. Mm -hmm. That's um, that's a character with a good range. Yeah, yeah, it really, really is because of the way that he is a protector of the travelers of the night, or just the travelers in general. Protector of night travelers. Protector of night travelers is is a very sort of broad description. You can make that mean so many things. Like when the in the Cullen Bunn stuff, it was he is protecting, you know, like ghosts and and like the lost souls, and in. Um, in the Warren Ellis stuff, it was people who are literally just walking around at night. Uh, you can take it in just so many ways. And what does that, you know, what does the, the protection mean? It could be psychological. It could be supernatural. It can be physical. Um, I'm, I'm definitely a fan of the interpretations that we have gotten so far. And I don't feel like Lemire is going to, uh, going to let down. Because yeah, he's got Greg Smallwood, Smallwood back on the book. It's interesting that they're bringing the artist back. Yeah, I I kind I just kind of like the idea that a new writer and a new artist would take over the book uh, each time. Um, but I mean, I like Greg Smallwood's art, so I mean, I'm not complaining for sure. But you know. yeah, I mean, it's been it's been a while since he's been on the book. So well, it's been an arc. Was he? He was with Brian. Oh, Wood. he was with Brian. So Wood. It was I'm, Ellis I'm Wood, then Bun. Right. Yeah, I kind of hope he changes things up a little because I felt he was kind of piggybacking off of, um, and I can't, oh, uh, Shelby. Of the Shelby. Mm, I mean, definitely that I think all the artists were trying to keep in line with the Shelby aesthetic, but he did it in a way that was still his own. I don't, uh, but I felt like even like the way that he drew people felt very similar and not that it was necessarily bad, um, to kind of try to keep that feel, but mm -hmm. I would, you know, I would just kind of like to see an expression more of his own style. That was such a pretentious thing for me to say, but <laughs> I, I really like the aesthetic quality I like of the, way the inherent. The, I liked how the lines uh, create a picture. <laughs> um, art. If you if you like Greg Smallwood, I I gotta finish it. I I think there's two volumes out, but he did a book with a guy. I maybe it was. Oh, I love that book. There's a book called Dream Thief. Dream um, Thief. Dream Thief. 
and um, Greg Smallwood does the art for both of them, and it's it's really good. Um, but I can't remember the name of the writer. Uh, Jay Nitz. Or Jai Nitz. Lincoln is a Dream Thief. So from Dark Horse, I think, is what I'm looking at here. It's a Dark Horse comic called yeah. Dream Thief. There's Dream Thief and there's Dream Thief Escape, I think, are the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, Both they're working on Greg Smallwood. Apparently. But Greg Smallwood is the artist. And I was reading through, I probably read the first chapter of the first volume. And, I mean, his art's fantastic in it. But, uh, yeah, check it out. I'll, uh, I'll eventually read it and I'll do a recommendation on uh, it. You know, Nick, you know what's going to happen because of you talking about it? What? It's going to go on my wish list. There you go. Oh, right. Well, yeah, Jessica Jones trailer is out. You've probably already seen it, but if you haven't, if you're one of those people that avoids uh, trailers, well, sorry, I'm over it. Um, yeah. Nick, what else happened this week? Not a lot again. Yeah, there's still um, some big stuff. Uh, there's some casting news. Someone named Palm Clementif was cast for Guardians of the Galaxy 2 yes. or Volume 2 in a pivotal role. Nothing else beyond that. Now, apparently, uh, old what's-his-butt, uh, James Gunn had said that the team is going to be expanding by one. And, I mean, obviously we don't know who it's going to be or who the actor's going to be. Like, it could be this actor here uh what character do you think it's going to be um if it's her if it's a her i could see them doing moon dragon okay um or mantis uh the mantis is another green character i bet i'm sure some yeah, hollywood think... executive would be like you can't have two green characters on the screen people will find that confusing you can't have two women on the screen oh they're both green <laughs> that's also bad too we can't have two green women one woman poor movie exactly um, Wonder Woman, she's going to be the only woman in the movie. Yeah, well, I think she will be. Um, so I, I don't know, Moon Dragon, Mantis. I'm trying to think of characters also associated with like the DNA era of the comics, and basically a Moon Dragon, Mantis, and um, Pulsar mm-hmm. uh, or Philabel, whatever you want to call her. She had like five different names. You don't think, um, you don't think it's going to be Nova? Well, I guess if we're going off female. A female. No, I think Gunn's already said that there's no Nova in... Though he could be referring to Richard Ryder Nova. I still like the idea that uh, because of the god-awful Nova pilot program that uh, was ruined in Guardians of the Galaxy 1... It was such a terrible idea. um, That they would... uh, That that would prompt them to pursue a super soldier program of the Nova Corps, which would lead to someone like Richard Ryder stepping up and being a uh, human rocket, mm-hmm. um, so to speak. Um, beyond that, uh, Chris Pine confirms he will save humanity with mm. Wonder Woman. Yes. Uh, going, not going so far as to confirm the role he will be playing, but let's all just assume it is Steve Trevor. It is. I was trying to think who else it could possibly be. And the only other character that I really came to uh, is if if they are going based off of um, the more recent storylines uh, by Brian Azzarello is, and I can't remember his name. Is it the guy with the craggy face? Yes. One of her brothers? Yes. Uh, I don't think it's going to be him. I actually think they're not going. I mean, I think there'll be some mythological elements, but I don't know how much they're going to lean into... Um, like her siblings and all that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I that was the only other really like male character um, that I could think of that 
Um, I really wish I could remember his name right now. All my volumes from the other room. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah, I think Steve Trevor is a safe bet. Or, uh, and that's totally cool with me. I don't know if we ever talked about the fact that uh, Patty Jenkins is set to direct. Yeah, I don't think it ever came up. But I, I know she was supposed to actually direct Thor 2. Yes. The Dark World. And then was replaced with Alan Taylor. With um, someone who would play by Marvel's rules. Which Patty Jenkins would never do. Patty Jenkins plays by only one rule. The, the, the Patty Jenkins rule. Which is, there are no rules. Patty Jenkins, yes. known, uh, really the only movie that people would know her directing is Monster. With Charlize Theron. Which I don't think I've ever seen. I think I've Anna never seen it either. Seen it. It's supposed to be uh, uh, anyway, Chris Pine has been quoted as saying that Lennox. he's very... Lennox. I wanted to go Lummox for a while as Lennox, yeah. Oh, uh, Lennox Sandsmark, who could transform himself into living marble-like stone before his death was revealed to be the father of Wonder Girl. Is that, that, that. Is that pre-52? This is 52. Oh, I didn't Yeah, know. I think he's only existed in the new 52. Didn't know he died. I didn't know his last name was Sandsmark. I also didn't know he died either. Uh, anyway, Chris Pine has said, I'm really excited for sure. Gal Gadot is really talented. Patty Jenkins is going to direct. We're going to shoot in film. I think they meant to say on film. What excites me the most is to be in a film with a woman superhero, with a woman in the lead role. Well, Yeah. I'm on a team with this intelligent, beautiful, strong woman to destroy evil and save humanity. The usual. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, I try to think, like, who else he could possibly be that would team up with Wonder Woman that's not Steve Trevor. Um, and it's Steve Trevor. Oh, it's going to be Chris Pine and Drag. <laughs> He's Playing gonna... Candy. No, Etta Candy. Who? That, that's a Wonder Woman character. That's someone named Etta Candy who's been like a long-time Wonder Woman character. Oh. Just go with it. <laughs> Just go with it. I mean, I, I was going to say that he was going to be playing uh, Wonder Girl, but yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, he could also play Wonder Girl. Or Artemis. Chris Pine is one of the Amazons. I mean, he could be playing... I mean, I've, I, we don't know how heavily they're going to lean into the mythology, but he could be playing a god. Wonder Woman in her amazing Amazons. I'd watch that. How is that not a show? How is it not? Remember when they were, I think it was going to be on the CW or something, they were going to do a show called Amazon, and it was going to be about Wonder Woman growing up on Themyscira? Yeah, and then there was all this confusion of, like, is it going to be part of Arrow? And that's when they were very such, like, superpowers are not a thing. We're not going to have superpowers. And then the Flash happened, and it was Oh, okay. Oh yeah, I guess we can allow uh, superhero. Well, powers. they should do Amazon now. I think Amazon would be a great show, even on the CW. That ship has sailed. Legends of Tomorrow. No, okay, Legends of Tomorrow doesn't mean they still can't do a prequel Wonder Woman series. That's... Batman's kind of getting it on Gotham, unfortunately, and Smallville was pretty popular, you know, warts and all. So yeah, but they can never mention Batman. They couldn't know, but I'm just saying on Wonder ever... Woman, I think they have a lot more control to play with the mythology, so to speak. Uh, what was I going to say? Speak. Legends of Tomorrow, Flash, Arrow, Flero, Voice. Uh, you watched you watched the Flash this week, right? No, I haven't watched either this oh, week. Oh, dude, the King Shark. King Shark. 
King Shark shows like, up. Like there was a guy in a shark body. Dude, oh, it is amazing. They, like, like, David, I'm just trying. It's like he looks like a street shark. He looks like, yeah, that that is the, exactly right. He looks like a street shark. Okay, and just how awesome is street sharks? For, yeah. Okay. If we are we gonna change now to the heck yeah street sharks podcast? We that's, should. Oh, that and biker mice from Mars. Biker mice so from Mars. 90s. Uh, no, but this guy straight up looks like a street shark, but they funneled so much money into the CGI, and he's not in a ton, but it looks like movie grade. Mm-hmm. Like, it's insane. And they talked about, like, yeah, it was so much fun having him in there. We'll probably never see him again, just due to budgetary constraint. Yeah, but that's cool I, I'm, I mean I'm so excited for that apparently they updated Biker Mice from Mars back in 2006 yeah yeah I haven't seen any of this stuff yet because I remember nothing of the old stuff they were Biker oh, Mice from Mars just and, and then there was a 2013 version oh yeah I forgot about that too uh, uh, hold on I, I want to tell you this briefly funny story about uh, The Flash I was watching oh. it earlier while in the kitchen cleaning up and um there's this moment where joe is like why don't you go like ask patty spivet out you guys you know you're obviously interested in her and barry says the words yeah but she's not iris and i booed out loud at the tv show and my dog got freaked out <laughs> like i have never done that she like ran like across the room and just stared at me and started barking at me like, i don't i don't know what just happened or who you are but you're i don't like you maybe topanga is a iris supporter no that's not that's okay. so funny come on barry don't get hung up on iris well it's so dumb because they have no chemistry it was kind of like when uh when Laurel and Oliver at the beginning of like season one, it's like, oh, is there something there? But they like they just had no chemistry, and so the writers were like, okay, we'll just go do other stuff, and it's not been an issue. And in this, it feels like they're like still kind of trying to force it. And I get that it was his like childhood first love and whatever, but Patty's so cute. Well, She's and the thing, the, the, the one, the one detractor from Patty uh, is that it feels like she's. Like, I mean, Patty Spivet is an actual character, and she's an actual love interest of The Flash. Uh Um, But I feel like her introduction and what I think they're hoping to do is that she, like, she that she intentionally catches on in a way that like Felicity did. Whereas Felicity was designed as a one-off character Mm -hmm. whose charisma sparked a revolution. Um, Whereas I think Patty is is very deliberately being written to a show, and. I mean, it's, it's that kind of thing where I think they're hoping she catches on. If she doesn't, then they can write her out or write around her or whatever. And but I just I wonder if like they know that like people feel the same way about Barry and Iris that people felt about Oliver and Laurel is that to us it's just it just doesn't work. And I and I actually want to say like I think Iris has actually been pretty good this season. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm I'm not being hard on her at, at all mentally in this season. I think it's it's just been kind of like the whole Iris thing was just really funny for season one. It's hard to let go of that. Well, it's just the, there, the, there are these characters that they are like, okay, we need to have a Laurel. We need to have uh, an Iris. 
But unfortunately, as the story develops, it's like these characters don't fit super great into these stories or into this world or with these other characters. And so for a little while, they're just kind of the odd man out or kind of the punching bag of the fans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they stick it out in the second season, I think for both so far. Um, I mean, obviously for Laurel, it was a while ago. And I, Laurel really had a turnaround. And I think Iris so far has has, has been a, a much better character where they are like, okay, well, obviously their traditional roles aren't going to work. What role is going to work for them in this show? Yeah, well, I mean, Laurel, they apparently always had in the back pocket that she would become Black Canary. And I think that's benefited her character. Yeah. But now well, you're wondering what she actually do, does for a day job because she's she never a lawyer. seems to be at work. Well, okay, um, okay. Yeah, and like anybody in, in either of these shows ever does anything for a living. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, like you still see like Barry working in the lab or at a or, crime I mean, scene. Oliver and, and Thea don't have jobs. It's They're just true. like homeless rich people or whatever. Um, They're currently not rich. Well, Oliver's rich because Felicity's actually, rich. And they have a home. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's sometimes it's like these characters, it's, it's easy in a comic, like, if if this was a comic book, you know, and they, like, had no use for Iris, they could just write her out, and you could do it in a way that doesn't feel, you know, like, she only has, like, she doesn't have to appear so much, she only needs to appear when it's relevant, or the same thing for someone like Cisco or Caitlin, or, or whoever, uh, Professor Stein, but because you're paying real people, and this is their bread and butter, you know, I don't know, do they get paid more for being more in an episode or less or what oh, you didn't or if they're, the great if they're not in an episode they do they don't they, they're not getting paid or are they on some kind of contract where they get paid a certain set amount for a whole season because if, if it's like episode to episode and you're you know and you basically need to find something for them to do to show up in that episode uh, you know it, it kind of strains the story a bit because sometimes a certain character just isn't necessary Man, contract negotiations is what everybody is tuning in for us to talk about. It's interesting stuff. No, it, it, is, it is an interesting idea. Like, Tom Cavanaugh has barely been around this season so far. Wasn't it? Wasn't... Uh, don't say anything, because there was the ending to last week's episode. Do mm. they follow that up in this episode? Yes. Well, not as directly or as immediately as you would think they would. But it it definitely uh, definitely by the end it is extremely addressed, mm. and it's it's definitely setting up uh, an interesting path for them to go down. Also, with these characters, written you know written forever ago, Iris and and Barry. When it comes to comics, you know you can manufacture their personalities to be literally whatever you want it to be. You can create chemistry between characters because their entire existence and being is fictional and, you know, you can draw them making eyes at each other or whatever. When it comes to real actual people, you know, actors can portray things to an extent, but their personalities can't be absolutely anything not everybody can play every single type of role unless you're Gary Oldman or Daniel Day-Lewis, in which case you are not human. Um, But real people are going to have chemistry with each other or not have chemistry with one another. And, you know, kind of circling back to, to previous points, I just, you know, I feel like 
these people are written in because they need to be written in where in the comics it was just super easy to be like they need to interact in this way so we will make them interact in this way and it'll be great and perfect and in this you can have two people making jokes together but you know the way they're talking they just don't really know how to talk to one another and make those jokes anyway mm -hmm. what we're trying to say is that iris is fine now but i just don't want there to be love triangle or dragging out that would definitely hurt the show in a lot of ways yeah i hope they learn from season especially season three of arrow where you had the really drawn out laurel not telling her father that sarah was dead plot uh and then of course the whole back and forth felicity oliver ray palmer thing that just gets dragged out over 23 episodes and maybe if it was done more effectively it would have been interesting but you definitely got to the end was just like <gasps> thank you they're together yeah and now it's just, I mean, like, I know a lot of people got turned off by Felicity. I think her character was kind of being ruined by the whole love triangle thing. She was so caught up in it where, like, she's such a better character than just being tied to some crappy romance plot. Um, but now that they're actually together, they I think they make a really cute couple. And Felicity's mm -hmm. kind of back to her, you know, peppy, fun, lovable self. Not, not, and I, I mean, it's, it's like, like, for example, a lot of people hate on Laurel when she was going through, like, the alcoholism and stuff. And, you know... It wasn't, like, what I wanted to see, but especially thinking back on it, it was really compelling wow, it was to such see a someone... great storyline. You know, someone who is, for all intents and purposes, normal, dealing with, you know, the, the loss of her boyfriend, dealing with, you know, the... Uh, uh, the did she know that Oliver was the arrow in season one by the end? No, or it's by the end like... of season two. It's uh, Slade tells her. Oh, okay. Well, what the queen um... is the arrow. And then he walks um, out. You know, um, but, you know, just going through all that, like, it, 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 for something that, like, tied to her family history and all that, it made a lot of sense. It was hard seeing her, like, have those, like, those outbursts and those, and the, the lashing out and all that. But I think it makes her a stronger character. Um, so I try to think twice now when I see characters maybe doing things that could be perceived as, like, annoying or hard to watch. I try to think, all right, well, realistically does this make sense? If it makes sense, then I really try to dig in and really embrace that particular element. Now, it could be that the act, the actor or actress just suck at delivering it, but in this case, I think the actress playing Laurel uh, is doing a great job. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And she's she's gone from... And I never really had an issue with her character because I saw that they had a journey that she was on, and it mm -hmm. was not fun to watch. It was not necessarily easy to watch at all times. And yeah, it is frustrating watching people be destructive, but that is very realistic. There are people out there right now who, and this is getting like super heavy, who are like drinking and doing drugs and they know what they're doing is wrong and they shouldn't be doing that, but they're going to continue doing that because they are destructive people. And that's like that stuff that legitimately happens. And so for it to happen in fiction, it, isn't fun but now i think we've gotten to a point where and they said this for laurel yeah we wanted her to be black canary but it wasn't going to be oh she just has one bad day and then wakes up and is black canary it's like she has to go through her own trials and tribulations she has to reach her own low points to then you know turn to vigilantism to work out her things and and, and to for that to be a healing for her mm -hmm. and you know that culminated with sarah and the way that she's going to process her her grief with sarah is by doing what she was doing 
Yeah, which and I know, I'm assuming you saw last week's episode of Arrow. Yes. I thought it was probably one of Laurel's weakest turnouts because I think, and nothing against Laurel, but they, I think that for I'm, this Sour I'm, Resurrection I'm, I'm plot. I'm ready to defend this. Let's go. What? I'm ready. I'm, I, I, don't, I think I know where you're going, so continue. Um, I think that the, the Sour Resurrection plot should have been something along the lines of like Damien Dark resurrecting her because he thought she'd be a useful tool. And then Laurel's arc and the whole thing being like trying to help her refine her humanity. Whereas this was just like, Laurel is really upset and is like, oh, Lazarus pits. Because I, I think they, she didn't know that um, Thea was resurrected in the pits. Um, no, no, no. She does. She does. Did, well, she knew it. That I, she don't know like, she, she... I think she found out last week when Oliver revealed that he put no, Thea in the pits. No, no, because there's something, she... about, there's something along the lines of like, whatever's wrong with you, the answer is in Nandapar Bat. And so is a Lazarus pit. Because her idea – because, okay – because what you're saying is like it's not realistic that Laurel, seeing what bad things have happened, would then be like, let's take my sister there. What she has done is she has been living with a Lazarus Pit resurrection person for like six months and has seen that, okay, you're, you know, you're pretty normal still. Like, yeah, you have this anger issue, but she justifies that in her head of... <clears throat> of Nana Parbat's going to have the answer to that. So we'll go have my sister resurrected and they will have the answer to that as well. And sure. Everything's so going to be hunky-dory. Pre-Nanda Parbat, I can see where she would be like, oh, let me resurrect my sister. But she also knows that Thea wasn't comp wasn't quite dead when she was put in the pit. The pit healed her, but she hadn't died. And now she apparently has to kill people to satiate her blood. I lust. don't think that the that Laurel knows that part. I, I think she knows. Well, if she knows that Thea was put in the pit, I think she knows that Le Thea's state was complicated, but not terminal um, or well, terminal, but not terminated. Um, but I mean, the, and but sure. But also her sister has been dead, has been dead for a, a, a year, a year, yep. basically. Um, and I think, once she got to Nanda Parbat and Merlin was all like, like, I know I'm kind of a skeevy scumbag, but like, I'm just telling you that like, this has never been done or the last time it was done was aeons ago and it ain't good. It, you shouldn't go there. And she doesn't know. Like, she doesn't do trust. It. Okay. She doesn't trust Merlin. Why should she? He, she's, he's never given her a reason. No, I know. Him. But I just mean, I think it's something where obviously we're dealing with a comic book universe. So Sometimes, like you have to kind of look at the logic in universe, but but if you, uh, see, if you try to put a thing. real world context on it, I mean. But you're also you're also applying logic to a very emotional situation. No, no, I, that's why I'm trying to look at. But I'm saying even with emotions, like, I, I mean, I guess I, I can see it. I can, I can go both ways. I think it doesn't do Laurel any. Yeah, you go both ways, huh, David? Um, I'm just like, obviously I'm trying to think like if I was really emotional right now and like someone told me that if I brought, well, uh, let's just say like my mom to, you know, I could put her in this pit and she'd come up, but she might have like sociopathic homicidal tendencies. I, I it's like, I'd be emotional and I would definitely weigh it. Like, you know, I might try to rationalize, I don't, I don't rationalization is a big thing. And maybe this is almost a byproduct of Laurel's alcohol rationalization. This is like the new alcohol that. Um, you know, obviously like it's the quote unquote equivalent of, you know, Oh, I can have one more drink. It's like, no, I deserve to have my sister back. My sister doesn't deserve to be dead, you know, but how many oh. people in the world can say that about someone they love? 
Yeah, and she has an opportunity to do that. And I think there's also that her relationship with her dad is still so fractured and that he is still so hurt by it. Like, imagine if she could get her sister back and bring that to her father and be like, look, like, she's here. And I think it's a very complex, complicated thing. People were just, like, approaching it very, like, well, logically, she shouldn't do this because of this. And it's like, yeah. mm, eh, no, like, the world is not logical. We should not try to have our fiction be entirely... Because I hate when people are, like, you know, watching movies, like, why didn't th this guy just do this? It's like, because you're outside of the situation with all the information. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you got to put yourself inside of that. I mean, I, I agree. I, I guess the more I think about it, like, I think I still would have preferred it the way that I was saying earlier, but it is definitely a complex emotional situation. Um, and looking in that context, like most of us would probably want to do the same thing because we'd be telling ourselves this, this will be different. Like I can control this, this situation. And that's obviously something an alcoholic would probably say. Um, so I think it is very interesting. Uh, I'll, I what I, I do like in a macro sense, I really like the idea that so uh, Sarah was the canary. Um, Laurel and uh, her was inspired by her sister to become the black canary, and in a lot of ways, her being the black canary was almost like a, a canary in mourning that she was the black canary because right. she's stepping out of the shadows of her sister who died. And then, but now I like that her sister's coming back and she's going to end up being the white canary, which is an actual DC comics character. Mm -hmm. uh, I just think that's kind of cool. I think that's like a happy accident. Cause I don't think that was originally planned. Yeah. Um, but when they, they found they had the opportunity, I think that's just a really simple yet creative way to, to differentiate the two characters. Yeah, no, it is. It is definitely, definitely cool. Uh, we got our first look at Batman Europa by Jim Lee with what does not look like Jim Lee art. Uh, I can see it. I, I'm looking at that page now. I think it's definitely Jim Lee. I mean, yeah, but it's not... They, they say it's Jim Lee, so it's got to be Jim right, Lee. Right, right. I mean, it's Jim Lee. And I, you can definitely see the stylings in there, but I, I, it doesn't feel just like standard Jim Lee well, I think you know this, if this is the same artwork, is artwork's probably been sitting in a drawer for like a decade hmm. at this point. I so. just accidentally Googled Kim Lee. That is not something I recommend people do. Kim Lee? Yeah. Uh, I, apparently it's a model. Oh. Yeah. Well, interesting. I mean, yeah. Uh, anyway, Jim Lee Art. Uh the long gestating Batman Europa. For those that don't know, Batman Europa was a book announced aeons ago and it is now apparently back on the docket. I believe it's a collaboration with Brian Azzarello, right? I think Azzarello has a hand. I don't think he's the only writer on it. Oh, I think Europa, I... Batman Europa. Europa, Europa. Written by Brian Azzarello. Is it just, is it just Brian Azzarello? Um, huh. written by oh, written by Brian Azzarello and Matteo Casali. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, and uh, hold on, Batman Roper two. Let's just see if that's something that they. I don't remember Matteo Casali being listed in the original, but granted, it's been like ten years, so written. So okay, so so far, Matteo Casali is also listed on the second and third and fourth issues. So, yeah. 
So co-written. I'm assuming it's still a pretty a, a pretty heavy Brian Azzarello book, though. We'll see. He's I mean he's um, pulling the double duty right now between that and uh, Dark Knight Three. I think the big thing about Europa is that it's a Jim Lee passion project, but um, each issue is done by a different artist. Yeah. Oh, and I think another reason. Let me just double check here because things are listed. So second issue is done by Giuseppe Comancoli, who's currently doing Amazing Spider-Man art covered by. Um, let me check issue one again. Issue penciled and inked by none other than Jim layouts. Lee. So I think the reason that Jim Lee's art looks weird is because the layouts are being done by Giuseppe Comancoli, and then Jim Lee's working over it. Oh, which is okay. kind of what they were doing in the Fifty Two Weekly series, where Keith Giffen was doing the layouts and the other artists were working. I mean, I, I didn't say it looked weird. I just said it didn't, it didn't look like patent Jim Lee. Well, yeah, Pat, but I think that's because Giuseppe Comancoli is doing the layouts. Uh, well, will buffs if you want to call them? Will the gestation of Batman Europa live up to the hype? We will find out. At 11 on 11 18 when the first issue is released and our final news story for the night is that we've gotten a bunch of looks at the suicide squad members more closely in costume as it were with the release of the empire magazine covers and some uh, some inside spreads showing a look at the various members of the cast I think it's still looking good. Yeah. No, I mean, as far as, like, we're seeing Deadshot and Harley Quinn here, we already saw them on, you know, in the trailers. Like, they're not really nothing new. They showed another cover, I think, also for Empire. With uh, um, Enchantress. The Enchantress. But that was which, pretty cool. Which was a pretty interesting look. Yeah. I, um, that's a character we don't know a lot about. I wonder if they're going to go with the, like, you know, mild-mannered woman who gets possessed by a crazy person. Oh, well, she's, I think she said that she's possessed by, like, a demigod or something. Well, that's essentially what a chantress is, is, but... Yeah. Yeah. But... yeah. And, of course, we got the cover with the Joker, and, you know, we are not going to go too much into the Joker's look here. Would Pe- you say yay or nay? You know, I'm going yay on it, because there's really... I, the Joker is a character that is not definitive in his appearance... I think doesn't have to be definitive yeah. in his appearance. It's a character that is very open to interpretation. I mean, his even the character himself is always talking about his you know his past. It's all these different versions. Um, he can the Joker can be the incarnation of evil in pretty much any form. Um, I'm actually over the tattoos entirely. Uh, people were like ragging on the fact that he was wearing like that trench coat and um, and like sweatpants. Like this costume is awful, and it's like it's probably just from like one scene. Yeah, you know, like there they were there were films where or like a, a you know scene photos and stuff where he was wearing other suits. Yeah. Um, one thing that I am very interested in uh, with this movie is something that's come come out from uh, David Ayer where he said that a lot of the film was about Harley breaking free of the Joker and becoming the fully actualized independent person. Um, I really like that view of Harley. I think it's a really cool idea to have like in the story where she was with the Joker for a long time. It obviously broke her and made her crazy. And now the Joker is not 
quite around in, in her life or, you know, she's separating herself and it's like, who is she now? Cause she's not like going to go back to being normal. She's way too far gone on that. But who is she without the Joker? The Suicide Squad will be a break, uh, breakup movie. And that makes sense. No, I think that's, uh, that's as far as all these other characters go, Harley obviously has a big media presence. And I think, that's an interesting place to anchor the emotional core of the story on. Because mm-hmm. you have, I mean, you have, there's a lot of people on this league, uh, league, the Suicide Squad. Yeah. Um, in this movie, Several I imagine of them many of them will die. Yeah. <laughs> by over the course of the movie. By head bombs or by whatever mission they're undertaking. You know, I don't think it would be a Suicide Squad movie without a few of them biting the dust. Um, people that I could see making it out would probably be like Deadshot, Harley Quinn. Captain Boomerang. Actually, I could see them killing Captain Boomerang. Oh, I don't know. Depending on Jai Courtney's appearance or how he like plays he it. He looks cool in the movie. I just don't really like Jai Courtney's acting. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I could see there, but... Enchantress making it due to the fact that she has an Empire cover. Obviously, Joker is going to survive. Um, That's <laughs> Enchantress gets a cover, so that means she must live. Hey, um, I'm just saying. I can see some Slip, of the other guys Slipknot like Diablo, um, some of those lesser known guys dying. Slipknot. Like Killer Croc will probably live. Oh, I, man, I just love how Killer Croc looks. Yeah. That is there. That is so rad. Uh, Katana, I think, is definitely going to live. I think it's a very good chance of living. I'm also very sad we're probably never going to see Katana again in Arrow. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, another thing that says we might never see Captain Boomerang again, which the guy playing Captain Boomerang just looked really cool. Yeah, and, yeah, he was very, very well done. Uh, and, of course, Deadshot is maybe dead, maybe alive. It's the kind of thing where maybe when the Suicide Squad promotional stuff is coming gone, they'll let the show play with it again. But yeah, well, at I, that point, why bother? I heard uh, rumor that, it was sort of some Will Smith ego stroking where it was like, Oh no, we're going to get rid of this character. So you're the only version because you're Will Smith. But I feel like if that was the case, if it was just to satisfy Will Smith, we still would have seen, we would still see Katana or we'd still see, you know, but at the same well, time, well, like I liked Katana on Arrow, but there's so many team Arrow people that having, I mean, she might, I don't mind if she shows up for like a guest spot, but I don't want her to be like a recurring character. No, 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 no. I'm not saying she should be, but like Katana is still alive and she's out there. Captain Boomerang is in a jail cell with Deathstroke, uh, who of course they can't use Deathstroke because that's who Ben Affleck is playing, obviously. (laughs) Um, But like those characters are still alive. Deadshot was blown up. True. Maybe. All I'm saying is that's some bullshit. <laughs> some bullshit. Oh. Uh, beyond that, uh, I just wanted to mention real quick how totally awesome the totally awesome Hulk number one preview looks. Oh right, yeah, I'd have I don't know if you took a look yet. at it, nope. but uh, it's got art by Frank Cho, an artist who finds himself uh, in a lot of quote unquote Wait. controversial situations. Frank Cho, Amadeus we, Cho. Uh, Frank Frank Cho drawing Amadeus Cho. Uh, for those that don't remember, Amadeus Cho is the new totally awesome Hulk. 
Um, and the preview features Amadeus eating a lot of food before fighting a two-headed turtle monster about to attack a girl and her or a babysitter and uh, the kid she's babysitting. Mm-hmm. Um, it just comes off as fun. Almost a little Scott Pilgrim moment where they're like they're pointing out like who Amadeus Cho, Cho, Cho is and um, some other factoids. Um, so it, it's not necessarily breaking the fourth wall, but playing with where the comic is, you know. It's not just sort of like, this is Amadeus Cho, super smart, Hulk. It's like, Amadeus Cho, 19-year-old super genius, seven smarts per according to the Pim Von Doom raw calc scale, which I love. Um, and then they're pointing to, like, uh, his drink, and it's a kale smoothie good for digestion. Uh, and it, t- like, um, points to his burger, explains what's on it, and says he's already eaten six. <laughs> so it's like and that's kind of little details you, I remember seeing in like Scott Pilgrim, which not they don't right. they didn't necessarily take it from, but it's Scott Pilgrim esque. Yeah, um, but, and the art just looks beautiful. Yeah, oh, and uh, other bit of news: uh, Meacham from House of Cards has been cast as Mister Freeze in Gotham. Oh, good, good for him. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll watch Gotham eventually. I've got other shows I'm catching up on. Yeah. Yeah, Nick, you got any anything else you want to mention before we're all said and done? Uh, oh, like great! That was really deep thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Let's move on to recommendations. Cool. What are you recommending? So, I'm in an interesting place with my recommendation this week, because I had a while ago recommended Next Wave: Agents of Hate, and while I was on a trip this last weekend. I had recently purchased the complete, because I, I knew I had never finished uh, all of Next Wave, Agents of Hate, so I purchased the complete collection, and I got through quite a bit of it, and I realized that I have never read Next Wave, Agents of Hate past the first two issues. Maybe I never even finished the second. I'm not sure. I don't have a lot of memory of that. But I know that beyond that, I hadn't really read much. And so, now, having read much more of it, I wish to recommend it again for realsies this time. First time, doesn't count. If you read it off that first recommendation, you're welcome, slash, I'm sorry. But now, if you're like, that chump has no idea what he's talking about, oh, I do. Check out Next Wave, Agents of Hate. It was a short-lived series. If you are enjoying um, what Marvel is currently putting out, Things that are a bit more, you know, more on the, uh, how would I describe it? Like, I don't want to say lighthearted. I mean, I guess it's lighthearted. But stuff that's definitely more comedically focused uh, versus some of the more serious sort of stuff. Humor-based. Yeah, humor-based. That, that's a good way of putting it. It is definitely a, a book for you. Uh, if you like obscure superheroes or obscure uh, organizations like Hate instead of S.H.I.E.L.D. who is run by uh, Dirk Anger instead of Nick Fury. There's just so many so many great things to love about this book. Uh, written by Warren Ellis, art by Stuart Emmerman, so you know that it is excellent on every single level. Uh, Warren Ellis will never, never steer you wrong, and uh, Machine Man is totally four skulls, which you, if you've read the book, that would be hilarious to you right now, and you'd be laughing 
so hard that you might poop yourself. Ooh, so oh, boy. Next wave, Asians of hate. Nick, what do you got? All right, so I'm totally digging Grant Morrison's JLA. Uh, I just completed volume one. Uh, I'm excited to read uh, volumes two, three, and four. Uh, volume one comprises the first nine issues plus a JLA secret files issue, which was kind of a mishmash of short stories. Um, it's drawn by Howard Porter, um, who I believe is currently working on Justice League 3000 slash 3001, uh, and it will be jumping on Superman, huh. um, for a stint while John Romita Jr. is busy elsewhere. Uh, what to say about JLA? So Howard Porter is an artist that I like. He's not one of my go-to artists. Sometimes it's in the face. Sometimes it's in the body structure. Uh, this is a book back when it was coming out that uh, I forget the year. I think it was in the late 90s, like the late, late 90s. And um, it, it's not, doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily, he's not necessarily channeling that 90s extreme. Um, but his art is definitely angular in a way um, that, you know, it's not my usual cup of tea. But there, is, there are certain pages or panels that just like just pop in this book. And of course... It's Grant Morrison. This is him just doing big, bold, uh, so much. If you read like some of his stuff in later years, like Final Crisis, Multiversity, um, I don't know, that other stuff he's done, um, Seven Soldiers, a lot of the elements you can see started in his Justice League run as being like his definitive take on the DCU. Um, You've got Superman, Batman. Batman, he really plays up. This is definitely, I think, where the whole Bat-God thing kind of took focus because a lot of time the rest of the Justice League is getting immobilized in some way, and it's Batman who runs in um, to save the day through some means or whatever. Um, it's just it's just really effective storytelling. He covers a lot of ground. He covers some really interesting threats. Like the first threat, they fight a team of superheroes that come from off-world and basically promise a paradise and of course, it's too good to be true, um, and madness ensues. Uh, they fight uh, angels from heaven. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you're aware, familiar with the character Zor Zariel or Zoriel. He was in Fifty Two briefly. He's he's been around. Um, they like he he's the kind of guy where like, he has them fight physical threats and and metaphysical uh you know philosophical threats mm -hmm. um what's what's the best course of action to take things like that and it's a lot of it's in the dialogue that just the way that the characters talk like they all speak like when you like john jones is talking like it sounds like john jones like wonder woman like superman like they all sound like the way they're supposed to sound so he really got in with these characters i mean the only characters i wouldn't be too familiar with is, is if he was channeling kyle rayner right um because he, I mean, he really comes off as like this new kid on the block, and at the time he certainly was. But I don't know how he was being written in his own series. Um, but just it, it's just really, really good storytelling. Um, it's just a great combination of writing and art. Um, so I mean, if you can get through the first volume and enjoy it, then I think you will be pleasantly pleased with the rest of his series. Excellent. Yep, I really do need to dig back into some older Morrison stuff. His older superhero things. Well, that 
is going to bring us to the end of the show. And speaking of Morrison, sorry, little last little last tidbit. I I was looking at some of the multiversity guidebook stuff, and I don't think I ever read it, but the Earth thirteen is like the supernatural world. And I just want to read the description because it's just fantastic. Go for it. On this world of permanent magical twilight, every day has 13 hours and every year has 13 months. Here, Etrigan the demon, rocketed to Earth from the doomed planet Camelot, fights evil in Merlin's name as Super Demon. Awesome. Fellow members of the League of Shadows include Hellblazer, Anataz, uh, which is actually Zatanna spelled backwards now that I realize it, <laughs> Witch Boy, Swamp Man, Fate, Ragman, Dead Man, and Enchantress. And then, all I'm asking, DC, please, please, oh God, get Morrison and Jay Lee. Jay Lee, having done the character art for this particular page, please get them to do a mini series set on Earth 13. Because well, it just looks awesome. I mean, Multiversity 2 could be one of the ones he has in mind. I, I, I hope so. I just, uh, just this totally sparks my imagination, and I love it. Wonderful. Uh, if you want to find out more about the show, you can go over to heckyeahcomics.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at heckyeahcomics, and you can email us with your thoughts on anything we've talked about or your recommendations of stuff you think we should read or your thoughts on anything that we have recommended to heckyeahcomics at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at DavLuz, that is D-A-V-L-U-Z, and you can find Nick sparking his imagination, whatever that means. And of course, you can always find us here next week, because if you enjoyed the show, please tell your friends. If you hated it, then please tell your enemies. Until next time, good Bye. Ever.